the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's guest is Dr. Casey, who is a board-certified fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in pediatric orthopedics. Dr. Casey, I'm happy to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me. We just wanted to go over some common pediatric orthopedic issues. In our first episode, the pediatric elbow injury, and second episode, evaluation of a limping child. I know that I see these conditions in my orthopedic clinic all the time, and I'm sure you have a lot of kids that come through with that. But if we started with the elbow, I was hoping to go over some fractures, uh, supracondylar humerus, the epicondylar fractures, radial neck, and also a nursemaid's elbow. I remember in training thinking that, eh, I won't ever see this, and I've seen maybe a hundred since I do an urgent care. It's very common, so I wanted to touch base with that. So I was hoping we could devote a little bit of time to each one of these conditions and maybe cover some basics to help our listeners understand how to develop a differential diagnosis. When you see a pediatric patient with an elbow injury, what are some important first steps? How do you approach your differential? How do you figure out what's going on? The first thing is to really understand the mechanism as best you can. And that helps a lot, especially with the nursemaids, because nursemaids is typically a pull. And so if you have a pull on the arm kind of mechanism, that really helps you narrow that down to nursemaids. But nursemaids can present other ways. They can present with a little tumble, um, which makes it a little bit more confusing. I've had several where the child leaned back on the arm and twisted, took a little tumble, and it was a nursemaids. You tend to think of nursemaids under age five, but I've had an eight-year-old with a nursemaids. Mm -hmm. So there are some outliers in there. So the first thing is get a really good history and make sure that the injury actually correlates with the onset of pain. Most children will have had some sort of injury. So it has to be they fell and that's when it started. And that's a very important part to differentiate instead of, oh, they were okay and they woke up from their nap and, and wouldn't use the arm. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of x-rays and neurovascular status, for sure, you know, we're always checking a palpable radial pulse. And then getting a neurologic exam in a child can be tricky, but super important if you can. And you really want to make sure you can get an okay sign that doesn't look like a bird beak, that's nice and round. So you know your anterior nerve branch from the median nerve is working. Then thumbs up and either finger spread or finger cross. The, the little ones can't cross their fingers very well, but they can usually say I'm two and give you a two sign, mm -hmm. which works nicely for ulnar nerve. And then in terms of x-rays, usually just AP lateral of the elbow. If on those views, I think the key is really good quality x-rays, because if you don't have a good lateral, it's hard to see a fat pad sign. And if you have a fat pad sign and maybe a question of a lateral condyle, then an internal oblique is a really good image. And I just want to touch base a little bit on the x-ray. The AP is like the electrons down and the elbows flex at 45 degrees. Make sure your x-ray tech knows that if they can't extend their elbow to do two separate pictures, one with the distal part of the humerus flat and one with the forearm flat, and that way you'll have a better look. Absolutely. What are common physical exam findings? So if we're trying to differentiate fractures, nursemaids, a sprain, a contusion, what kind of findings would you anticipate with, say, a medial epicondylar avulsion fracture or a supracondylar humerus fracture? The main thing is swelling, and especially be on high alert if you have swelling out of proportion for what you see on the imaging. Because in children, they can have a big fracture that is mostly cartilaginous that you might not appreciate on imaging. But if they're hugely swollen, 
there's something major going on with that elbow and don't trust your x-ray interpretation. In terms of locations, telling the difference between a medial epicondyle and a supracondylar can be really challenging because sometimes they hurt everywhere. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if they only hurt on the medial side for a medial epicondyle and then they hurt on both sides for a supracondylar, but it, it just isn't always the case. So I, I think on the exam findings, Limited range of motion and swelling for the elbow are are big ones. Kids that have a fracture are not going to give you full range of motion. Mm -hmm. So if you can get full supination, pronation, which helps you differentiate between, am I looking at something radial head, neck side, uh, flexion extension, am I looking something more supracondylar, medial epicondyle, lateral condyle? I think that's very helpful. Mm -hmm. God, that's so important and so true. Everybody should take a listen to that. that. It's so important, range of motion and swelling. There was this thing, I think it's in the Essentials of Musculoskeletal Care, where they say have the kid you know, point their index finger or their contralateral hand and put it where it hurts. And that works sometimes. You know, what do you think about that? Depends on the age of the kid. Uh-huh. So if you have a three-year-old, they're going to find the one scrape on their arm that might not be anywhere near their fracture, and they're going to point to that. They're going to point to what they can see is a problem and not to where they feel it. So it doesn't really work very well in the younger kids, especially if they have some sort of outward appearing Mm boo-boo. In the older kids, I try that. They never point with one finger. (laughs) They take one finger and they draw this big circle around the area. Uh Yep, yep. Back to x-rays. We're hopefully going to be able to pick up many fractures on an x-ray working in orthopedics, but... Are there any special projections, any special views that you like? I know you talked about the internal oblique. Are there any other x-rays that you like to get or basically the AP lateral, maybe an oblique? I think the key is the quality of the x-rays, just like you talked about before. A really good lateral so you can see the fat pad. So don't accept a, a terrible lateral. And same with the AP. So if they can't extend, you're going to have to focus distal humerus versus radial head to see what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, when you're in doubt, get a contralateral elbow. Kid elbows are difficult to understand, and they have things that look like avulsions when they're really just normal growth plates. So a contralateral elbow is not a failure. Uh, and I'll still do that, even though I've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of those myself. When we talk about surgical management, when we talk about management of the elbow fracture, How do you determine what needs surgery, what doesn't, x-ray findings, exam, things that you just know are not going to do well that we really need to augment this fracture? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Of course, there are lots of different categories. So start with supracondylars. Uh For supracondylars, most of them need surgery. The non-displaced ones don't. The ones where the anterior humeral line does not intersect the capitellum, they need surgery. And then anything that's further displaced than that. There's also on the AP view, so even if the anterior humeral line intersects the capitellum, if it's in varus or valgus, kids don't remodel that uh, alignment. And so you'll end up with a deformity if they have varus or valgus alignment on that AP view with a supracondylar. Mm-hmm. Those get fixed. The timing for fixing them, though, is it's a little bit different. And I think nowadays we are pushing those type twos out a little bit to say, no, they don't have to go to the emergency room and be fixed that night or the next day. Type twos, can we can sit on those and they can be fixed within the next few days. Type threes, those still need to come in and at least spend the night in the hospital if you're going to wait till the next morning. But just because they can deteriorate, get too much swelling, lose their pulse, things like that, type threes probably should be watched um, overnight Mm -hmm. or fixed that night. So that's supracondylars. So lateral condyles, pretty much 
any displacement needs to be fixed or watched very, very closely. If you can see the fracture on two views out of the three, then that's one that I'm going to worry about. If it's displaced, then we're going to fix it. But if it's just a hinged, but I can see it on both views, mm -hmm. that needs a conversation at least and very close follow-up. You do not want a non-union in a lateral condyle. Medial epicondyle, much more controversial. If it's associated with a dislocation in a dominant arm in an athlete, those three things make push me much more towards fixing. If it's widely displaced, uh, but non-displaced medial epicondyles uh, usually do not get fixed. They usually do pretty well with non-operative management. Radial necks. Those are one just definitely don't want to miss. So this is a good example of the elbow that's tremendously swollen, but the x-ray looks normal. So if the child is young, like maybe five or under, the radial head isn't ossified yet. And so they can have a 100% displaced radial neck fracture, and you won't see that, but you'll see a hugely swollen arm. And so that's when you're like, okay, there's something very wrong. I need to jump on this instead of mm -hmm. just casting it and seeing your back. You don't want to see a healed x-ray with the radial head on the side of the radius. That, that, that'll hurt your heart for sure. Nursemaids, I do think it's really important to stress a good reduction. And I've had many, many, many nursemaids show up where somebody else has tried to reduce them and has been unable. One, they're going to present pronated with the elbow flexed almost always, certainly pronated. Occasionally they're pronated with the elbow extended, but usually they're holding their wrists pronated with the elbow flexed and have normal radiographs with no fat pad sign. And if that's the case, even if the mechanism doesn't perfectly match a nursemaid's, I'll put them through a reduction, which for me is full supination all the way with even a little bit beyond all the way. So you feel that sponginess and then full elbow flexion, again, flex to that spongy feel. And you can do it on yourselves at home and just feel where it goes and then push a little bit further and you feel like it's too far. Do that because sometimes the... Well, you don't have to do that if it reduces before then, but a lot of times it takes that last little push to get it to reduce. And it sure is nice to have it reduced the day of as opposed to three days later. Have you tried the, the little opposite rotation where you rotate it more internally? So you're hyperpronating. Have you tried that? I haven't. I read that on an ED article and I tried it a couple and they, they went in and it was less traumatic, but these were kids, little ones. So, you know, we start getting four or five years old. I don't know how that would work, but I, I just thought of that as an option. Yeah, I think the sooner you get to them, the easier they are to reduce. And I never get them early. I always get them late. You get them once they're kind of socked in there. If we're treating some of these either conservatively or packaging them up to come to the OR to get pinned, how do you do a splint? How do you recommend that you protect it? Is it the elbow flex? Is it partly extended? Do you do a sugar tongue? What kinds of things do you do for that? So it's in a position of comfort and it's a really good question because a position of comfort is going to be, I definitely don't want it flexed. Mm -hmm. So we want it usually about 70 degrees. Sugar tongue is pretty difficult. So sometimes what I'll do is posterior and then just give it mm -hmm. one little either medial and or lateral support orthoglass too. Mm -hmm. So it just gives it just a little bit more protection. I think a posterior is fine, right. but a, a sugar tongue is a little bit trickier, especially if you're extending and if you're treating an elbow if you're treating a forearm that's different but if you're treating an elbow i think a posterior is usually enough just make sure you use enough padding i think honestly the key is telling the parents it is okay to loosen 
whatever you have covering it. So I prefer to use bias wrap because rarely would you have to loosen that. But if all you have is ace wrap, which is the case in lots of places, even if you put it on loosely, mm -hmm. it will get tight and they will end up with sausage fingers or a sausage hand. And that's more bothersome to them than the fracture. So you just have to tell the parents it is okay to loosen the ACE wrap to relieve that swelling. Dr. Casey, this is great information for our listeners. Thanks for your time on this today. Everyone stay tuned for next week's episode number two, Evaluation of a Limping Child. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. Dr. Casey's coming to our Charlotte conference this year. Extremities in the Carolinas, Trauma for General Orthopedics, May 21st and 22nd, 2021. Check out the PAOS.org website for details.